Hi, everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to this year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rocrow. And today we have, I think, our biggest episode of the Contender series so far. We will be talking about our nominees in Best Actor and Best Actress, and we are not here alone today. So, Nick, go ahead and introduce our guest. Of course. So our special guest today with us is Cameron Sheets. He's a fellow Ohioan who not only shares our love for entertainment, but also for some of the best ice cream from Jenny's, where he also worked once upon a time. After producing and managing content development at The Onion, he continued to write and produce at the AV Club, as well as conduct amazing interviews with talent, including, take a sip of water, Glenn Close (laughs) and Amy Adams, Denis Villeneuve and Timothy Chalamet, Regina Hall and Melissa McCarthy, Greta Gerwig, Oscar winners Bong Joon-ho, Emma Stone, Laura Dern, and Guillermo del Toro, and then the cast of Hustlers, including Kiki Palmer, and Leo favorite J-Lo, 9to5 icon Dolly Parton, Rob Pattinson, Mother Melanie Linsky, and the list goes on and on and on. He is currently the entertainment editor at Queerty, where his charisma continues to shine in all of his articles and unforgettable interviews. Welcome, Cameron, to Oscar Wilde. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thank you. It's killing me that we started with Glenn Close and Amy Adams, because it's like, yeah, I sold my soul to talk to them about Hillbilly Elegy. My God. (laughs) Not my brightest moment, but, you know, I'll do what I have to do to talk to those two legends. Mm -hmm. But hey, thank you for having me. It is an honor to be here. You two are just so thoughtful and well-researched with all of this, and I feel like I'm just here to, I don't know, I'm gay. I'm, I'm here today because I'm gay, says Pink and, and me. <laughs> oh, no, Elliot Page said that. Pink also said that, but then Pink was like, I'm joking, I'm not. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that's where my oh brain my is right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're so happy to have you, and I have two questions for you before we get started. What is your favorite Jenny's flavor oh since you worked God. there? And how was it interviewing Oscar Wilde favorite J-Lo? Oh, my God. Okay. So the ice cream question, my favorite is like, and this goes way back in Jenny's lore, is it's not even called this anymore, but Queen City Cayenne, which is like their like spicy chocolate. They maybe call it like Mexican hot chocolate now or something like that. I just remember having that the first time I ever went there and being like, I didn't know ice cream could do this mama (laughs) so I was like really I was like I'll have more um yeah and then I fell in love and then I worked there for a little bit um but I I will be a Jenny simp for life I I can't help it and speaking of simping (laughs) J-Lo that is like as as Nick has rattled off I've talked to a lot of people and I love it and people always want to know if like I get nervous doing that. And to be honest, no, not really. And I I haven't necessarily. But the people that probably make me the most nervous are the people that I think you think of as like pop stars, like J-Lo, Dolly Parton, of course. Like, how could I not? Mm -hmm. That's a goddess Mm -hmm. among us. Um, Janelle Monae. Like, those are the ones because I think that they just feel so larger than life in a lot of ways. But J-Lo is nice. I mean, I talked to her at the Hustlers Junket. It was my birthday. I had to get up at like 7. Oh, my God. No, I had to be there at like seven or so. I had to be there really early on my birthday. And I was like, oh, I can't handle this. But I talked to Kiki Palmer and her birthday's the day after. And so she was just like, Virgo. And so I just like was kind of fueled by that energy for the rest of the day. And yeah, talking to J-Lo and Constance Wu together was 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 a blast. Um, 
that was that was just a very special birthday i gotta say <laughs> that's like the perfect perfect birthday yeah it world. was i was like of course i'm gonna do this i mean of course how could i not the the only bummer is that cardi b was there and i did not get to talk to cardi that day but <laughs> talk about someone i would be i wouldn't even know how to interview her no. like larger than life persona star everything <laughs> just yeah i would have been, i would have been nervous that is the the day of the infamous entertainment tonight video where she's like wait a minute actresses when you guys <laughs> do you remember that that yeah, interview yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh she's the best anyway but j-lo is great and i can't believe i was in her presence and she looked phenomenal like it just mm-hmm. she, had, she had this like leather beret oh my god <laughs> the best <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i love that so much speaking of people we love <laughs> We'll be talking about these actors and actresses today who are nominated. So we'll start with actor. We'll run through the nominees and then we'll share for each nominee, like we did last year, our Oscar scenes that we would pick for them. So for each person, we'll share that. Then we'll share our write-in votes and who we think should win. And then we will do the same for best actress, which I anticipate will be a longer conversation than actor. (laughs) You know, we're recording pretty early in award season. We have a month until the Oscars. I wanted to wait until we got some of these precursors, like from BAFTA, which is on February 19th, or SAG. So I'm not sure I feel like super confident or I, that these categories in particular have gone anywhere. I don't think we have a clear, clear winner yet, but I think the conversation nonetheless today will be... So much fun. So I'm excited to hear what you think specifically, Cam, because, I mean, obviously, Sophia and I talk about this every single day together. (laughs) So I want to see how you feel and who you think is our front runner in actor and actress. And we will get there. We don't have to jump the gun yet. But I mentioned some of the precursors, also the Golden Globes. We'll mention who won there and with certain critics groups. We'll just get right into actor. Our nominees here all first-time nominees, which is incredible and very rare for the Oscars. But we have Austin Butler in Elvis, Colin Farrell from The Banshees of Inishirin, Brendan Fraser from The Whale, Paul Mescal from After Sun, and Bill Nye from Living. So Austin Butler, this is our big biopic performance. He's obviously playing Elvis in Elvis. This season, he won the Golden Globe for Drama, And then he has also been nominated at SAG, BAFTA, and the Critics' Choice Award. How do you both feel about Austin Butler, his nomination here, compared to some of his other work? You know, he's been on Disney Channel before, so how all of that compares? It's interesting to me because he's such like a, this is such like a, what you would think of as like the ingenue nomination, you know? This is like his first really big serious role that anyone's taking him serious in, and and he's getting his nomination. Like, I think he's really phenomenal in this. But yeah, I'm, I guess I'm happy to see him there. But I'm not necessarily rooting for him. We'll say that. Aside from the, the Disney pipeline of it all. I always root for that. But Yeah. We have Zoe 101, The Bling Ring, The Carrie Diaries. He played Tex, who dies at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I agree with you about him being the ingenue. And that's something that... I feel like we see frequently in Best Actress, but sometimes in Best Actor, they don't like recognizing young men. They like recognizing these veteran actors who have been there before, and they push younger men to the side. So I think that Austin's performance here is like much stronger than what we're used to with the musical biopic. Also, 
being an Elvis impersonator is like a career or a side gig that you could pursue. And Austin had to make sure with this role that he wasn't that. He wasn't this caricature of Elvis or acting like an impersonator. He was actually transforming into this very popular icon. So I think he does a good job with it. I also am like not rooting for him to win, but I do think there is a very strong possibility that that could happen mm-hmm. still. Mm-hmm. It's funny you said that about like Elvis being a career path, like playing Elvis being a career path for <laughs> yeah. people. Because it's only just hitting me, and we'll get to it later, but Ana Darmus is playing Marilyn. That's probably the comp uh, in terms of like women th- th- mm-hmm. that you would pursue that career path. So that's kind of funny as these like twin nominations though. But I, I agree. I think that he has a pretty strong shot at it considering I mean do we have to talk about the voice I feel like we have to talk about the voice we have to talk about the voice (laughs) (laughs) it's there yeah the voice that now may be going away but I fear may be in Dune part two since that has already been filmed so we'll see yeah I didn't I didn't love all of the talk about it and then only recently he said he was getting rid of it I wondered what will happen with Dune. <laughs> like, is he fully just <laughs> on Arrakis talking like Elvis too? Do we get a little <laughs> musical performance out of this? I'm I'm curious to see, but may, maybe all that like sand got it out of him. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the hot desert the spice. sun. <laughs> the spice, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think as Elvis though, you know, I, I didn't grow up with Elvis. I didn't know him very well, his music, but... One thing that a lot of older audiences agree on is loving him. So I tried to see it through their eyes and in appreciating the performance. I think it is great, you know, also having researched about the makeup and the cinematography and everything they did, the team as a whole and showcasing his work and making him look like Elvis and sounding like him and being as authentic as possible. So I love what has become of this. It sounds like we're all on the same page about how we feel about this potentially winning, which I'm surprised by. But I think for a young actor, this is a huge role and a great accomplishment to starting a more serious side to his career. And I mean, I make the Dune comparison in jest, but I think there are some comparisons between him and Timmy as well. And, you know, Timmy was nominated very young, even younger than Austin is here. And, you know, he didn't win. He was up against another giant who won. We don't have to speak his name. (laughs) I was like waiting for you to make this comparison. And I feel like I laid the path out for you when I talked about young men never winning and older veterans being the favorite. (laughs) So Gary Oldman, again, another like another prosthetic use in that film. So a lot of comparisons along the way. But even just talking about Austin and not comparing him, I think he did a great job here. He's certainly not in the league of Rami Malek's, you know, who mm-hmm. win for musical biopic performances. Yeah, mm-hmm. Rami, thinking back on that, makes me like cringe a little. But this, you know... <laughs> There are other people I'd rather see win, but I don't think I could be mad. I think he gives a great committed performance and obviously put the work in. And that's not necessarily, we're not rewarding the fact that he put the work in, but it translates on screen. Absolutely. So what would you guys pick for your Oscar scenes for Austin Butler? Yeah, this one was kind of tough because 
I mean, this movie is so much. This movie throws so much at us. And I think that there's, you know, there's a couple scenes. There's, like, the big confrontation towards the end where he, like, has the talk with his dad. And his dad is like, you need to, you need Tom back. We're broke. But I think it should be one of his performance numbers. Just the way he's just so fully shed himself in those scenes. And it's amazing to see everyone. I've seen it go around Twitter where people are like, this needs to be his Oscar clip. And it's the one where he's, like, sweaty Vegas Elvis and he's like deep throating the microphone and I'm like not not that I don't know he's very committed so that's that's honestly my pick I love it on a lot of those contenders technical episodes we talked about this comeback special and I feel like that has to be his scene probably in the white suit but again I think the academy and I'll come back to this with an actress but a moment where they can see Elvis shine too, this character and person that they love and seeing Austin do that too, I feel like that has to be a scene. So when he's singing, you know, he's being Elvis, you get the voice, you get the moves, all of that. I think, honestly, if they like give a standing ovation for this scene, I would not be surprised. <laughs> yeah, we're all on the same wavelength. I was thinking of the Suspicious Minds performance mm. because I think that any moment in the movie where you can see him perform, yes, this movie has rare quiet moments that Lerman puts in but it's really all about him performing and becoming Elvis and I think that with this scene in particular he really succeeds in not mimicking Elvis but embodying him and like bringing his own charm and charisma into the performance like you can see that he is thinking about not just impersonating Elvis but he has that indelible charm that Elvis did that brought audiences across the world to see him okay on to another beautiful man nominated for best actor colin farrell who plays parik in the banshees of inisharan this is also his first oscar nomination he's had quite an incredible career but this is the first time that they've recognized him he also just had a great year this year also being in the batman and after yang this season he has won a number of awards already so he won the volpe cup the New York Film Critics Circle, the Golden Globe for actor in a comedy and musical. He also received nominations at Critics' Choice, SAG, and BAFTA. So what do you guys think about Colin Farrell in Banshees? And how do you think this performance compares to some of his other performances in his career? Well, I'm in love with him. <laughs> and I, I mean, this performance is phenomenal. You know, the gear started turning when we invoked... Chalamet and Gary Oldman and I was like if we're going with that comparison it's almost like even though these you know these are all first-time nominees which is amazing and I love that detail and it's like Colin Farrell is maybe the closest to Gary Oldman in that narrative in the sense that it's like this is someone who has given us multiple performances that I think you could argue were awards worthy in the past and and so this is like that cumulative moment for him. It's like, let's award him for this incredible work, but also everything he's done to date. Not that there not, aren't other actors that are kind of operating in that space this year, even within the nominees, but I just think he's the one that feels like, we love Brendan Fraser, but it's not surprising that he hasn't had an Oscar nomination yet. But Colin, it kind of is. It's like, it, it just feels mm -hmm. like this is just the culmination of all of that. But I mean, he's so phenomenal in his movie. And I think like, he is our premier eyebrow actor, of course, of course, of course. But I think he also just nails everything that this movie needs. I mean, he's funny and sweet and 
I really love him so much in this. It's just such a great performance. Adorned by cable knit sweaters. Like, what else do you need? I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I love him here as well. I think it's a great transformation in a way. You know, it's a quieter performance. He has so much restraint in this movie, which is something that doesn't necessarily always get nominated. So I really appreciate that. He's an actor that probably the first reference I remember of him was being in Phone Booth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that is such a different kind (laughs) of movie. So he's had such an illustrious career. He's had such variety. I mean, we've mentioned the lobster on the pod Mm. probably a few times. So again, just the breadth of material and he can be funny. He can be serious. He can be adventurous. And this is that nomination, like you mentioned, that is surprising. It's like really a first nomination. So I'm happy for it here. I'll just say briefly that I am rooting for him come Oscar night because I think on rewatch this movie, especially it just tracks really well. And to watch these performances to appreciate Mm -hmm. now months later after having first seen it, you know, now that all the performances are nominated, I think it was such a smart decision for that to happen and for everyone to vote for them all four. So I love that he's here and we will talk about everyone else on a different episode. Yeah. I'm excited that we get to talk about the whole cast, but it's, I feel like it's such a phenomenal performance from Farrell also because if you if you know him and have followed his career I think he's partially known for his like bad boy mm-hmm. phase that he had in the 2000s and that was that's so different for us you know that was I was very impressionable at that age as we all were and very important to me remembering him then but having always been quietly doing really great work with incredible directors this moment feels like it is his, like he, he has been waiting for that. So I completely agree with you on that. And I think that with Paul Rick, he's able to really put everything that he's done throughout his career into this one role, making it really emotional and subtle, like you said, Nick restrained, but it's also so different and unexpected from Colin Farrell. And I, I love that. And I feel like it's the type of performance we rarely see in this category mm-hmm. because he's allowed to be emotional without screaming at the top of his lungs at whichever poor character is at the other end of it. And in those quiet moments where he's just sitting there at a table and thinking about what he's going through, or he's talking to Jenny, his donkey, like that <laughs> is when so much of the film happens and a big reason why this movie stayed with me in the way that it did days later after watching it was because of Colin Farrell's performance and in so much of what he communicated just with his eyes not even with any of that beautiful dialogue and eyebrows (laughs) and eyebrows yes (laughs) also I, I like definitely worth mentioning just what a wild 2022 he had I mean this is one of four roles he had in film counting, you know, the Batman, um, 13 Lives, and After Yang, giving something completely different in all of them. So, yeah, again, if, if we're, like, partially rewarding someone as, like, a cumulative career thing, it's hard not to give it to him, just based off this last year alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what would you pick for his Oscar scene? I mean, Sophia, you kind of... I adore every scene he has where he's talking to Jenny like that. It's just mm-hmm. any any of those. I know that's kind of a cop-out, but um, 
it's really, really sweet. And you don't, you know, it, it is kind of like the movie knows it's sort of funny that he's like talking to this donkey, but you're not really like laughing at him. It's not like he's a joke for doing this. Like you, you feel that relationship as much as you feel his relationship to his sister. Like it's, 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 I, I love what he gives in those moments. Absolutely. Yeah. This movie really does care about the animals mm-hmm. through direction, acting, editing, cinematography, all of those components. I love the care that it has for the animals. And I, yeah, I was going to pick a scene with Jenny. I'm going to go with instead, though, the scene when Parik follows Colm outside with his beer. And it feels like this moment of confrontation where he's like, why are you doing this to me? Why won't you talk to me? Why are we rowing? And there, I think it's one of those moments where we are able to see Farrell not thinking of what the character would do next, but actually in a very naturalistic way process in real time what is happening to this character. And you see really the crux of it all, which is that he just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand why his friend would do this to him. And I think it's a really, really tricky thing to do as an actor. And I think he just, he nails it. You're empathetic for him, but you also want to just shake him and be like, just, just stop. It's, you need to just let this one go. You need to just (laughs) move on. The first scene that we get with him and his sister, she immediately understands this and it takes him the entire movie to get there. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it's a little infuriating, but again, I love this journey. But I would choose for my scene when he does explode, and it is a larger, a bigger moment Mm -hmm. for him Mm -hmm. when he's just feckin' yelling at (laughs) Colm in the bar. Oh, that's so good. I I do love that scene. Yeah, I mean, you get to see this emotion that's been so far up to this point pretty held back and quiet, and like he's not understanding what's happening, like you said, but... He lets it all out, and later we hear a column say that, you know, he's maybe finally turning around to Parik because of, you know, the emotion and the passion he showed in this moment. But uh, I do love what he's giving, even in his bigger moments. Yeah, definitely. I love when an actor is good at playing drunk, and he's he's, <laughs> he's really, so really good, good at it, it here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like on another level, if you can, if you can do it that well, I feel like he's, he's wonderful. Next up, we have Brendan Fraser for playing Charlie in The Whale. This season, so he won at Critics' Choice, and he's been nominated at the Golden Globes for drama and also at SAG and BAFTA. How do you both feel about this nomination compared to his other works? Well, here's another <laughs> Gary Oldman comp. Not to keep bringing him up, but I guess this is the <laughs> this is the role buried in, in makeup and prosthetics, but... Well, I think it says a lot, you know, how the nominations panned out. I mean, Hong Chao's nominated too, but we're not seeing the whale turn up in a lot of other places. I think that, like, if this movie works at all, it's just because of the humanity that he brings to it. And I just think it, Brendan is, like, incapable of not bringing that. Like, I, I just think he is just such an uh, an earnest and honest and emotionally truthful person that, you know, it does shine through all the other... <laughs> whatever else you can say about this this film and this role uh, so we love brendan since george of the jungle you know we got mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, mm-hmm. he's been with us for a long time it feels like so it, it, that's where i think a lot of the support is coming from it is really interesting to think about 
this season and how you know sight unseen he was talked about as this like front runner and possible threat to the win and you know that's that's faded a bit but again this comes this conversation comes at such an interesting time where anything could go in any direction and we could feel really different in three weeks and think he's the lock again but right now I'm kind of like I have no idea but yeah all of that is to say like it's (laughs) complicated feelings about the movie but it's a little less complicated just to say that like I do love Brendan I think he is just he does that heart really does shine through yeah I think that what you said you called him earnest I feel like that is the word that I kept (laughs) coming back to also when thinking about him as an actor and just his persona he seems like such a wonderful person and I think that it's always powerful when audiences bring the person's baggage good or bad into the role and into the movie and I think that that is really affecting a lot of Mm -hmm. people when they're watching the whale for better for worse and for Brendan Fraser here I think that it's tricky because the film itself I also have complicated feelings for I think that it could have been a character study about loneliness and an interrogation of this person's past and I think that if it were a movie like that Fraser's performance and his abilities as an actor could have really really shown through and it would have been a perfect comeback film for him but because Aronofsky has a tendency to lean towards excessiveness and extremity and he sort of created this horror movie Mm -hmm. with traces of dark comedy to it that doesn't feel focused and sort of feels at odds with the script. I think that he gives Fraser a sort of impossible task to try to overcome that also buried under layers of prosthetics. I think that the performance can feel over the top Mm -hmm and emotional at times, but I don't think that's necessarily Fraser's fault. I think that's what he was directed to do because that is very much the the tone and the mood of the film. But overall, I do think that in this movie that I have my problems with, I think he's reaching for something that is an entirely different but better movie altogether. <laughs> yeah, I think he's giving a performance that really isn't bad. I mean, him and Hong Chao do give nomination-worthy performances. It's just the script, the nature of what's happening, what he has to do that is so hard to watch Mm -hmm. that makes this not something I want to root for. And, you know, finally getting the nomination, he's been so thankful ever since his standing ovation at Venice when this premiered. And, whether his tears were real or not, I think his humanity of this performance and in real life does shine. And I love that he's here and I like that he's getting recognition and the hardships he's had in the past and had to deal with in this industry. We're shining a light on these issues. And we also have to mention the mummy that he was in. I feel like those (laughs) are the two biggest roles, you know, and (laughs) those were from, those were both in the nineties, right? The mm-hmm. mummy was 99. Mm-hmm. That was like it the was big, later, right? yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But he is just so incredible in both of those and looks different. You know, this was 30 years ago, mm-hmm. God. But I hope he gets these roles in the future again. You know, bring him back, whether it's the mummy, whatever number we're on, <laughs> or whatever reboot this is, you know, give him <laughs> the chance for anything. Well, he will be in Killers of the Flower Moon whenever that comes yeah. out. So. Exciting. 
I personally might pretend that that is his comeback story, <laughs> that <laughs> that is the film that I'm choosing to tie him to. But regardless, I do think that he, he brings something special to the whale. What do you think Brendan Fraser's Oscar scene should be? I mean, I think it's almost certainly going to be that conversation he has with uh, wow, forgive me, I forget her name, but Hong Chao's character. He has this, like, teary-eyed, mm-hmm. people are amazing speech. I mean, that was, like, the first clip we saw in a trailer. That's, like, the one, that's just the one that has kind of been put out all over the place. It feels like from the beginning, they want to show you, like, how how much emotion he can bring to the surface. Like, that's just been, I, I feel like they put a lot of emphasis on that scene to begin with. So that that feels like the one to me, I would say. The ending is this big emotional culmination that, you know, is also helped by the score and the cinematography and what's happening. But I think him in the end, reading the essay from Ellie one final time before he ascends is a powerful moment for him showing his emotion. He's crying. He's finally walking. It's it's a big moment. And this movie goes out on a very big note. But I think it would play well as a as a short scene, too. I'm actually going to pick something from earlier in the film because the really emotional moments in the movie don't work as well for me. But I like when he's just talking with Liz when she comes to visit him and there's this sort of funny banter back and forth between the two of them where you actually sort of get a sense of what their relationship is like. I'm honestly concerned by what Aronofsky thinks of healthcare workers, but that's another (laughs) conversation for another episode, I guess. (laughs) But I think some of those moments where there is a little bit of levity to it with Hong Chao and Brendan Fraser, and they're, I think, sort of trying to put a little bit more into these characters and give the audience a break, honestly, from the heightened emotional states. I liked that. So I would pick really anything from the earlier section of the film between those two. Okay, next up we have Paul Meskel for After Sun. This season, he was just nominated for the BAFTA. What do you guys think of him as an actor and of his performance in After Sun? This is like really, this was just one of those moments on nomination morning where they read his name and and I'm just like, yes, like it's so amazing mm-hmm. to see. It's not unlike Colin Farrell's work in Banshees. Like this is a unshowy, quieter more reserved, subtle role. And to see it get recognized, especially considering, I guess, again, we have another ingenue, but this this is not an Elvis performance, that's for sure. So it's kind of a miracle that it got in, especially over like other bigger names that were floating on the bubble that I'm like glad <laughs> didn't pan out. We'll, we'll maybe talk yeah. about that. Maybe we won't. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, he's phenomenal in this. And this is just one of those roles that, what well, in films that you're, you're kind of, piecing it together you're puzzling it together as it goes along and then to to have that gut punch at the end and then go back and revisit the film it just you feel every shade of what he's bringing to this I think he's just so keyed into it and I mean he's young it's crazy like I I think that there's an element to it too where you're like watching this and you're like wait how old is she and how old is he so how old would he have had but like I mean I know that's kind of part of the narrative but I think that he just really sells it you really feel him as this as a father, which is, yeah, surprising for an ingenue performance, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he's a young actor, but the newest to acting mm-hmm. of anybody we have here, too. But 
he plays every role he's ever done. He was in Normal People and then also The Lost Daughter, which we got last year. So he has just these incredibly emotional and delicate performances. And that's exactly what he brings here. I think Charlotte Wells's work and direction is very synonymous with what he's doing here. I think they connected so well. And on rewatch, like this is such a devastating movie, but a performance alone. And I feel like whether you can relate to his problems with mental illness and like what he's feeling, there's something that you can connect with. And his relationship with Frankie is just so special and seeing all of the behind the scenes mm-hmm. and, you know, thinking of that as a memory itself and what Wells is doing also in the film. I, I really do love this performance. I'm glad he's here. I'm glad he's nominated and we'll get so many more roles like mm-hmm. this from him coming. Wait, didn't Frankie yeah. call him his her best friend at one point, like uh, in some interview? <laughs> That's yes. just so cute. My so heart. Sweet. <laughs> I really want him to bring her to the Oscars as his oh. Oscar date. It'd be adorable. It'd be so mm-hmm. cute. I know. <laughs> Please make that happen. It won't be Phoebe, so. <laughs> no, right? Oh my god. <laughs> Too bad Phoebe didn't have an original song or something this year, so that they could both be there just for the drama. Oh, we live for that. Yeah, if only. Well, there'll be plenty more Oscars for Paul and yeah, Phoebe can turn out a song, I'm sure. So, yeah, <laughs> this was one of those nominations that just made me cheer. Mm-hmm. I was so excited that he was here, not just because the other possibility was Hugh Jackman for The Sun. Um, <laughs> also, I will say it, <laughs> but I think that he has the possibility to be our generation's Montgomery Clift. Like he's that type of actor. Mm. And those types of actors do not come around frequently. Sometimes they're once or twice in a generation. And I feel like it's so hard now because there aren't those sorts of opportunities for actors to show off that sort of emotional vulnerability, but also to have such a performance that feels like he's so observant of the world around him Mm. and is just collecting like everything that the character does, I feel like not only are those roles just not celebrated, they're not, we don't have movie stars in them anymore. So this feels like such a rare role performance and especially nomination. It's one of those where when I first saw it, I thought that's one of the best performances (laughs) I'm going to see all year. And I'm so sad that we won't be able to talk about it because he won't get nominated for anything. But here we are. So very happy about that and i think that you know it's interesting because we have a couple of performances this year about parents and their relationships with their children and the things that they've internalized and what charlotte wells talked about was looking at this picture of herself with her dad she realized how young her dad looked in the photo and how that really inspired her here but the way that he tackles mental health here and how he's still a good dad but how there's something just so heartbreaking that he's trying to hide throughout this movie that's just he does that so well throughout and i'm so happy that he's nominated so what would both of you pick for his oscar scene the dancing (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) but genuinely there is so much going on is you know he's dancing and it's great and we love to watch him dance and we love to watch paul mescal do anything you know run around in short shorts but um, there is a lot that he's like giving on his face then and that just comes at such a that is like one of the final beats of the film that one with where, where he gets uh, 
Frankie. <laughs> yeah. Sophie. Yeah, where he brings her out there. But, I mean, he has a couple really phenomenal scenes. I, I know one that got me kind of just choked up, just kind of, is the one where they're sitting on the bed and he's talking about, like, how, you know, when you move away from somewhere, you, you, it, like, that is just, a lot of that is in the script, too, but I think he just, I don't know, it made me really feel that moment, definitely. Yeah, that actually, that scene when they're on the bed and she just has mm-hmm. her head in his lap and you feel, that would be my Oscar scene. I think you just feel like, like you feel how much he loves his daughter and how much he cares about her, but also the wisdom in that scene. Like he's a young dad, but he's clearly lived a life and he is like willing to, with everything that he has, like pass on any bit of knowledge that he has to her even though he knows that he's imperfect and he's going to act imperfectly throughout the runtime of this film it's those like tender moments between them that I think really showcase his range as an actor and his ability to dial into that emotional specificity that he has and I think that scenes like this that's why people really connect with this movie and with his performance yeah, I would go with another conversation he has on the boat with the scuba diving instructor. Mm. Mm-hmm. He has this mm-hmm. just like gut punch of a line where he says, I can't see myself at 40, to be honest. Surprised I made it to 30. And it's just one of those little inklings that you get in the film of what he's feeling and the way that he communicates this is very quiet, but you can feel the pain behind those mm-hmm. words as well. Okay, our final nominee, we have Bill Nye. He plays Williams in Living. He won at the LA Film Critics Association. He was also nominated at the Golden Globes for drama and then at Critics' Choice and upcoming at SAG and BAFTA. I was just going to put get it out there that, and I am ashamed to be on this podcast and admit this, but I have not seen Living yet. And I'm also ashamed to admit that as like, a Bill Nighy fan, like I, I love him, and I, so I just want to say, uh, I adore this man, and I'm glad that he finally gets a chance to be the lead in a film, a, sp- a film like this. So uh, it's a long overdue, and that's all I can say as someone who has not viewed the film yet. But. That's okay. I think that he's had such a career where it feels like this one is the one to me. Where in addition to Colin Farrell, I thought to myself, how is this his first nomination? And then I realized a lot of the roles that I think of when I think of Bill Nye are comedic and just are never recognized by awards bodies. I always think of him in Love Actually because I love him in that. He's such a good performer. He's so funny. I love him in About Time Mm -hmm. as the dad. He's just makes me cry every time I watch that movie. He's also, I mean, he's been in Pirates of the Caribbean. He's been in a number of really fun films that like left a mark on me growing up that I really liked. So I think that here this film allows him and this role allows him to get into his more dramatic side as an actor. And you know, he has this theater background. When Ishiguru wrote the screenplay, he had Bill Nye in mind the entire time. So he wrote the screenplay just entirely for him and I think that you can see Nai and Ishiguru's interest in that very particular sort of like English behavior <laughs> of that period, the very like buttoned up ideals and the way that people believe they have to behave in a certain way and live this very bureaucratic 
stiff existence. And I feel like you can see him throughout the movie as Williams just carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's living for other people and not for himself until he finally gets this diagnosis that he won't be around much longer. And he, you can see a shift in him, but there's also this deep sense of grief and sadness that I feel like he, I don't know, he really blew me away in this performance. So I highly recommend watching Living just for him. I now choose to believe that Ishiguro like, wrote this with him in mind because he saw he saw Shaun of the Dead and he saw how he did how he t- <laughs> there's that moment where he gets bitten it's kind of like the microcosm of this performance from what I know of it where he's like okay this is the end for me like <laughs> you know mm-hmm. he saw that and he was like yeah. yes mm-hmm. this is my man I love that <laughs> I love both of the movies that you shared Sophia especially about time I think he he understands the father-son relationship so well there and that gut punch of a moment during his last scene is just perfect every time makes me sob another underrated film that he's in and more of a lead capacity is pirate radio big fan <laughs> neither of you have seen this. no love pirate radio <laughs> no yeah i've i've seen it too <laughs> i just i can't believe i forgot about that it's an now. oldie so glad you brought it up <laughs> i nothing i love more than polite british dramedies like and he obviously like pirate radio mm-hmm. is that pride is that he works in that register really well, but sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of Pirate Radio. No, that that describes him perfectly. Also, he was in the recent Emma. Like, his character throughout the years is pretty much the same and probably why he hasn't been nominated as well, but I do love what he is always giving. And in Living, we get to see a more serious side, and I like that as well. I think he understands it, and... Also in interviews, he's been able to kind of share like how that relates to his personal life as well. So I like hearing his perspective on that and what went into the role. It's also by the end, like very emotional and moving. And I love the cinematography and the references to the original and how we just see him sitting there with the reality and what he's gone through and, you know, seeing the journey through these final moments you know, going to the carnival, which I love too. Yeah. And I think it's not without humor. Like he still manages to find his little ways to mm-hmm. inject his humor into the script, even if it's just a humorous delivery of a particular line. Like you can feel Bill and I as a comedian in there a little bit. And my Oscar scene would be, I think, the one that they have to pick. I just, I can't imagine them picking anything else. I'm not going to get, give too much detail because I don't want to spoil the film, but there's a scene when he sings and it is just very moving and evocative and made me cry watching it. So I think they have to pick that. Yeah, I wanted to say one of his scenes with Amy Lou Wood, mm-hmm. which I also love her character and their moments together. But yeah, it definitely has to be the singing. He's just giving this final moment of catharsis and understanding and it plays really well. And to hear him sing. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen him sing in a movie before. I'm sure he has, but... Love Actually? Um, love Actually. <laughs> Christmas is all around. Oh, Only I'll one be, of the oh greatest Christmas bops. Yeah. Oh. That's like, like fun. He's like singing. stripping. Yeah. <laughs> Very different kind of singing, I guess. 
brain fart. Can you imagine if he just started singing that and living? Like sitting on the swing. <laughs> would have been if a totally only. different type of movie. If only. <laughs> so Cameron, who would your write-in vote be? I definitely agonized over this for a minute. But for me, I think it would be Jeremy Pope from The Inspection. It was just like such a bummer that, that both his and, and Gabrielle Union's performances kind of... I, I don't know. They got great marks out of TIFF, and then it kind of just, they didn't really go anywhere. And I don't know. I mean, A24 had their hands full, I guess, and just couldn't keep the support behind them. But I, I think that, you know, he's another young performer. We haven't really seen a lot from him. We definitely haven't seen him lead a film like this. And, and The Inspection's a movie that, like, I, I think I respect more than I liked. Like, I'm just not going to really glom onto a boot camp drama, you know, even if it is about a gay character. But. I think he's just so, uh, there's just no pretense there. It just feels so real and so raw. Uh, it just, like, very much that he is going through that experience himself. I think that he definitely had to build a lot of trust with Elegance Bratton, who he's essentially playing to do that role. And I think he, he just does it so beautifully. And it's just so phenomenal opposite Raul Castillo, opposite Gabrielle Union. Um, it's just kind of a shame, I think, that he wasn't, you know, maybe he wouldn't have made it in. We already had, again, I keep saying that word, but we've already had our ingenue slots filled. But like, but to think that he just wasn't in more of the conversation is, is a bummer to me. Yeah, no, I, I love that one. And yeah, he and Gabrielle Union, I thought her performance was amazing yeah. too. And I wanted those to definitely go further in the season. My write-in vote would be for Park Hae-il from Decision to Leave. I thought he was fantastic in this role. Like, he has to do so much in it, playing this detective and navigating these relationships. And he channeled, for me, Joseph Cotton and Jimmy Stewart, (laughs) these people we know so well from Hitchcock or Wells films, who sometimes they don't have these big emotions like we want these characters to have. We want to know how they're feeling. But they let us know how they're feeling in other, more creative ways sometimes. It's just the way that they'll look at a character or the way that they'll choose when to talk and when not to talk to a particular character. And they oftentimes surrender to characters that they shouldn't. And that, I think, is really tricky to pull off. And we also need to just recognize like more international performances in these categories, too. So I picked him here. Yeah, talking about international performances and a movie that we've talked about a lot on the pod from All Quiet on the Western Front, I am writing in Felix Kammerer, and this is his debut performance, which just absolutely astounded me when I saw that. I think he just, I mean, the work itself is huge, but to put yourself in this lead character's shoes is such a big undertaking, and the things he had to do on set in this movie, running, fighting for his life on this battlefield. It's just so beautiful to watch. And it's heart-wrenching going through, I mean, from the first moments where he's so excited and he gets his uniform and sees that another person's name was stitched in there to him running across the battlefield, him fighting with another soldier and caring for that person in the same moment of not wanting to die himself it there's just this constant battle within the character that he i think really shines so beautifully and definitely recommend this movie and 
who do we think should win? One, two, three. Colin, Colin Farrell. Farrell. Right, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, it I has to be him. Colin. Yeah. Yeah. I want, I, I want to see that so bad. And I mean, for all the reasons we talked about before when we were touching on his role, but I think like this is just, it shouldn't be that necessarily when we're talking about best actor, but this does feel like so overdue. This is like culmination of so much that he's done. And, and this role, I think appropriately, I think Sophia, you had said that it like does feel like it brings in so much of what we've seen from him in other roles. So yeah, it's, it's gotta be Colin mm-hmm. number one for sure. I really am rooting for him. I think that this category overall is really strong, but of the performances here, I would say that Paul would be my second, but Colin Farrell here, he just, he's wonderful in this role. He really brings Paul Rick to life and is one of the reasons why I love the movie so much. Okay, on to Best Actress. Our nominees here, we have Kate Blanchett for Tar, Ana de Armas for Blonde, Andrea Riseborough for Two Leslie, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, and Michelle Yeoh for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Getting right into our first nominee here, we have the wonderful Kate Blanchett playing Lydia Tarr. This is her eighth Oscar nomination. She previously won Best Supporting Actress for playing Katherine Hepburn in The Aviator, and she won Best Actress for Blue Jasmine. This season, she hasn't really missed she won at the new york film critics circle the la film critics association critics choice and best actress in a drama at the golden globes at the time of recording we don't know sag or bafta but she was nominated there as well so this is the first person we've talked about today who has been nominated many times before (laughs) how does this nomination compare maybe to her other nominations and performances throughout her career Oh, how do you even talk about Kate Blanchett's career? Like, she's on another (laughs) level. You know, I just read the other day this fact that she has now been in more Best Picture nominated films than any other actress, which is wild. But um, yeah, that's the magic of Kate Blanchett. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just so phenomenal. This is, she lives and breathes Lydia Tarr. She is Lydia Tarr. <laughs> Kate Blanchett is Lydia Tarr in Tarr. Um, <laughs> I mean, how does it compare? I mean, I, I don't, it's just so rare to see a movie like this that feels so, it really is hard for me to talk about. I, I, I this is my favorite movie of the year by mm-hmm. a long shot. I think it's just, she's so in tune with what Todd Field is going for. She's so in tune with every element of the movie it's all working in unison but she is the oh my god is Kate Blanchett like almost well no I guess Todd Field would be the conductor but Kate Blanchett is like conducting this beautiful symphony she's at the head of this as this like as the central focal point of this film and she's phenomenal and we've seen her be phenomenal so many other times but I I can't get over this performance and the layers to it and not unlike After Sun it's just a performance that wants you to view her a certain way and then you start learning more and more about her so then like if you go back and revisit it there's just these other layers of it that come into play i i hate that i stand lydia tar but i do but it's because i stand kate blanchett like she's just she is the greatest so kate the great that was word salad but that's kind of (laughs) what this movie does to me (laughs) me too (laughs) i loved her performance so much in blue jasmine i think you know, seeing her emotional breadth that she can give was so astounding. And then I saw Tar and I was just like, holy crap, like this is an all time performance. 
it's just amazing what she could give from the first moments to that final scene in her reading about judgment and to see where this character has come from and gone through and caused so much harm to different people but you know seeing where she has come to it's there are so many different elements to talk about but I love how she does bring like in some of the actors restraint like she had in Carol but some of that fighting emotion like from Notes on a Scandal Hmm. another movie I really love her and Judi Dench Mm -hmm. there I think she's just one of the best actresses of this generation and I think that we've ever had and when we think you know we think we know Kate Blanchett she gives us something like Tar where she absolutely transforms and hearing her talk in interviews about this person it's just like she spent her whole life knowing her and has Mm. become this other part to her and it's just amazing to listen to and I could do that all day long (laughs) (laughs) yeah hyperbole time for me I (laughs) when I first saw Tar I could not believe what I was seeing I also stand Lydia Tar and just this entire movie and the performance it is one where I just kept thinking to myself like she cannot be ignored here not that she has been she's had this wonderful Mm -hmm. career but this is the type of performance where I thought to myself, this is not just my favorite Kate Blanchett performance. This is my favorite performance by a woman in the Oscar conversation in years. I can't think back to when a performance by a woman that was like taken seriously in the Oscar race has had a hold over me in this way. That's been like this complex. It has those things that we think of when we think of Oscar nominated performances, Hmm. like that she learned German and she learned how to conduct and everything about the world of classical music that allowed her to transform, right? Like she learned piano and stick technique. Those things are all important to her embodying the character and showing us that we can believably see her as a conductor at the world's greatest, highest stage. But she also brings the public and private moments of Lydia's life and this power and vulnerability to them, sometimes simultaneously in the same Mm -hmm. scene. And it shows this duality of the person that, to me, makes her the most complex character of the year. And some of that comes through in the writing, for sure, but it doesn't work without an actress like Kate Blanchett there at the center. And we see how she treats these other women with a lot of subtlety. And that, to me, was Mm -hmm. more important than ever seeing anything concrete that she does to them in front of you like you see how she works and you see how she thinks and how she uses her power to control other people and to get what she wants and it's so ambiguous and provocative and again like that doesn't work if you don't have someone like Kate Blanchett giving Hmm. a career best performance I've compared her to Daniel Day-Lewis many times but Mm. it's totally on that level if not even stronger than some of his greatest performances. And I feel like the impulse to compare her to a man is there, and it's been there throughout the season, because a lot of times women don't get roles like Lydia Tarr because they're not written for women. Like These roles are they're written for the Daniel Day-Lewis's and the Al Pacino's of the world. But here we have one that was written for and delivered by Kate Blanchett, and I will love it forever. It's so wild to remember that the first 
scene we get is the one through, I guess, the you know, the assistant's phone of her sleeping on the plane. Yeah. And from that moment, we're just seeing her through all these different angles, how the public perceives her, how these individuals perceive her. And she is this, obviously, no matter what angle we're seeing her through, this she is this, like, pole. She's this through line through all of it that... Um, she's she's the greatest yeah she really is <laughs> mm-hmm. so what would you pick for her oscar scene apartment for sale <laughs> i was like she's so good yes. in apartment for sale she's so funny in this movie too it's really i mean that's true i don't think we've said that yet yeah. like that just she is really 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 funny and yeah i don't know i mean i think my answer for a lot of these is just the ones that i keep like my personal favorite but like why not why not make that the scene that are petrus i'm petrus father like my god mm-hmm. yep i <laughs> my jaw i remember my jaw i distinctly remember my jaw dropping during that scene and being like no she's not <laughs> it was so good when she's like god watches us all it's so yeah. funny oh my god <laughs> but i also think you know another scene that i'm kind of watching with my jaw open is her um her big speech to the class at Juilliard. I think, you know, we don't, we're just like, she's center frame the whole time we're following her through that classroom. And again, that's a part we get to see through other, another lens later on, which I love. But I mean, the shade of it all, like Mm -hmm. she's just (laughs) being such a bitch in that scene. (laughs) And I love it. (laughs) It's so good. Because it's like, we've talked about this too. It's like, she's already won. Like, you are guest lecturing at Juilliard. Like, you have already won (laughs) this fight. Like, you do not need to keep going. But you learn so much about her and how evil she can be in that scene. I think I would pick a very vulnerable moment of hers for my Oscar scene. I would pick when she's actually back home in Staten Island at the end, Mm. crying to that tape of Leonard Bernstein. And she has that silver hockey medal that she's wearing. And she's just so emotional there and it's really haunting and it hits you after you've just sat with her and her character for this long runtime and you see her entire life in that scene you see where she came from and how complex of a human she is and how complicated and that we'll never know any of these answers but here might be a sliver of that like a little bit of an answer into who she is and it's overwhelming i think just sitting there that glow of the screen on her eyes as she's crying, you just realize like the effect that someone like Bernstein had on her, but also her realizing how she's gone downhill at the same time that she thinks about where she came from. So I I love both of those. I also had, I'm Petra's father. (laughs) I will get you as one of my scenes. (laughs) Also because it's in German. Oh my God. Like you mentioned that she learned this language, but holy crap. Like her accent is great, but I guess I'll go with a different one, which I love all of her little mannerisms throughout the film, but it's after she's fallen, she's had her accident and she shows up to conduct. This is so good. And yes. <laughs> and she's explaining like what happened. She's like, I was attacked. You should have seen the other guy. And one, the comedy, but two, how she lies about what happened. Mm -hmm. And three, you get to see that she loves the spotlight that she has. Like, oh, it's just everything culminating in this one moment. And 
it's like not even a thing but the way she looks up when she says you should have seen the other guy and like <laughs> fixes her her watch on her wrist i just i love those little tiny things that she adds to mm-hmm. this character well it's so corny and embarrassing too like what an excuse it's like you you start to realize too like this person is powerful but she also can be taken down fairly easily in little ways right so yeah oh i love i love that scene too that's so funny another line i love that i just remembered is when petra has her little animals all set up and arranged as and she's like not everyone can Mm -hmm. be conductor this isn't a democracy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so great you're taking the mood down next very different (laughs) okay next up we have anna de armis she is playing Marilyn Monroe and Norma Jean in Blonde. This is her first Oscar nomination. In this season, she was nominated in drama at the Golden Globes, also at SAG and BAFTA. So how do we think about her nomination and how it compares to her other previous works? It's kind of crazy because when I think of Ana de Armas, I think of someone who is, and this is pre-Blonde, I always thought of someone who was an absolute delight to watch on screen, whether Mm -hmm. it's a performance like Knives Out, where she, I don't know, she's just a joy to watch in that role. Like, she's good at the comedy. She has good relationships with other characters. She's sort of the, like, cipher for the audience there. And that, and I enjoyed her there, but also in No Time to Die, in just, like, the five minutes that she's in. Yeah. Scene stealer. Star. Star status. (laughs) Perfect. So, she's someone that I always looked forward to seeing, I think, in films, especially in recent years, she always brought this sort of star pop and pizzazz to any role. And Blonde, as a film, and Norma Jean, as a character, is drained of all of that life. Mm -hmm. And I can see why she looked at this project and thought this could be the role of a lifetime, playing Marilyn Monroe. It's her first, like, lead lead role. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's just drained from the direction and the script of everything that makes her such a wonderful actress to watch. It's just a, it's a hard, hard film to watch. And it's a performance that I think is hard to talk about without talking about the issues of the film. I will try my best, but it's just you can't <laughs> it's hard to really divorce the two, I think. Yeah, it's I, that performance of a lifetime thing. Right. I, I totally see how she would see that and and that's why she would want to do this role but that's like what feels like it feels like the narrative that we all like not we but you know voters bought into that's like what got her this performance is just that like on paper it sounds like that and yeah I guess I don't know Colin Farrell liked it (laughs) if you remember him telling her at the Golden Globes so yes it's hard for me to think I I don't know when as like an actor if you see a performance like this are you wincing through it and just being like, I can't believe she did that. Like, that's really impressive. I We should award that. Is that where these votes are coming from? People just being like, ooh, damn. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. good for her. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's kind of confounding. And, and this this movie made me feel bad. So I don't really have a whole lot to say. Yeah, it's a really conflicting movie, mm. too, because you understand what she's doing for this character, but also all of the other elements are taking you out. So it's like this constant battle of, do I like this? Do I think what she's doing is great? Or am I just totally thrown off? So I think overall, like 
her ability to transform, like she's giving as much as Marilyn as she can. Mm -hmm. And I applaud her in that way. But yeah, it's not a movie I ever want to revisit. And even like having to find an Oscar scene was really hard. But I think what she is giving to this character, apart from the script, apart from the brutality of them taking apart Marilyn Monroe and this bombshell of a character, I think it's a worthy nomination, question mark. (laughs) (laughs) It's tricky because Andrew Dominic doesn't care about Norma Jean or Marilyn Monroe as an actual person. The teardown of her is never really effective in any way besides trying to scandalize us because we never saw Norma Jean as a person because he doesn't want us to see her that way. She's never an actual person to the audience, just a recreation of a particular image that he wanted to create. And I I don't think we need to get like too far into Dominic's commentary or his reason for making this movie. I still don't really know the answer, but I think that, you know, what she does here, like it's it's not an impersonation of Norma Jean or of Marilyn Monroe because that's not what this what this movie is and it's also not what we know about her based on historical records, letters, stories from the time, her successes in the industry. The adaptation of it being a fictional novel, I think that she does a great job at what she's asked to do. This character and the performance, unfortunately, like can't transcend Dominic's bogged down vision. Like it's a performance that's all about suffering because that's all Mm. she's asked to do is to suffer and play into his idea of who this person was. So it's unfortunate because I think that in another director's hands, or if this was a different type of story about Marilyn Monroe, Anna absolutely could have captured the essence of her. And she does sometimes, and she does a Mm -hmm. good job, but she only does what the film is set out to do. And I think what you said about actors loving this is true. It's like Leo and the Revenant. It's that type of movie where actors just love seeing another actor put themselves through hell, and then they reward that sometimes. Yeah. Okay, so did we pick our Oscar scenes for Blonde? (laughs) I mean... I think this speaks to like what we were all talking about. There's like these rare moments where we do kind of see her happy and empowered. Like I actually come back to, uh, again, doing really bad with character names today, but when she meets the guys, the other actors, Mm -hmm. and they're kind of like, you just see her happy with them for a little bit. And I think that that's where we do see that spark, where we think of the like fun of, of watching Ana de Armas perform. You see a little bit of that there. There is a little bit of happiness. She does... You know, it's kind of their relationship is this complicated sexual romantic thing. But I think that there is like a little bit of that's the moment where we see her feeling that being this like gorgeous person that everyone's obsessed with. She can use that to her power, use that to in a way that makes her happy and feel fulfilled. We we get like a small couple glimpses of that. There's like that early scene where she's talking with them that stands out but that's maybe more of just a vibe that i'm like honing in on instead of a specific scene so kind of at a loss otherwise (laughs) i would pick one when norma is playing Marilyn. there's one where Mm. she's singing on stage and then immediately bursts into this violent rage when she feels like she's being used and she like scratches her face another one maybe is when she's in some like it hot which i like because 
it showcases some like amazing restorative elements. Again, I think just a way for them to show that Hollywood loves this person. Yeah, my scene would be when she is Norma Jean and she's crying into the mirror. And in the mirror, we see Marilyn. And it's the Mm. one time, I think, where we do see the duality of this person, of it being a little bit more complex between who the real person is and who the projection is or what people want Marilyn Monroe to be. And I feel like there, Anna really nails it. Like, even though these two distinct personas that Marilyn had, that was a huge myth that the studios tried to create with her image. And I'm sad that it's put into this movie. It's very antithetical to how women move through the world, as we just talked about with Tar. But I do think that what Anna does in that scene is really impressive. And I think she understands what Dominic wanted there of showing these two sides to Marilyn Monroe, Norma Jean. Okay, next we have Andrea Riseborough for Two Leslie. She's here. She found her way into the category and earned her first Oscar nomination. This season, though, she wasn't without recognition. She did earn an Indie Spirit Award nomination for Best Lead Performance. What do you guys think of Two Leslie? I feel like we don't have to talk like too much about the campaign, but if we want to talk a little bit about that, you definitely can, too. Well, I was going to say, I do think that Two Leslie is a small movie with a big heart. Um, <laughs> so, no. <laughs> okay, again, um, showing my my cards. This is another one I haven't ended up seeing, but obviously the it's I've got to see it. I've been really just befuddled and amazed by the, the campaign of it all. But, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that Andrea is incredible in it because... Well, I've seen the trailer, and <laughs> we get some good glimpses of a performance there. But, I mean, she always is. What I, I can't think of a time she hasn't just completely committed herself. Um, you know, I think we throw around chameleonic a lot when we talk about her because she mm-hmm. does kind of disappear into roles, and that's part of what makes this, like, feel like it came out of nowhere because I think for people that aren't following actors as closely, like, yeah, this is just like, wait, who is this? Even though they've probably seen her many, many times over, but... Um, so I, I love that she's having this moment, for sure. I, I wonder what she does next from here. That's kind of outside of the conversation of what this performance is, because I haven't seen it, but um, <laughs> but yeah. Well, and like Matilda the Musical this year, I didn't even realize that that was her until mm-hmm. the very end. <laughs> <laughs> so chameleonic, I think, is the right word for her. Like she, even in just a single year alone, can crank out very very different performances and she I get the impression like a lot of people have a lot of opinions about this campaign and how it all happened and I think that from my perspective looking at Andrea's filmography it doesn't seem like she takes on any of these roles to earn this sort of recognition Mm -hmm. that's not she just seems to be the type of actress who wants to find as many different projects as she can sometimes very risky stripped down roles like thinking of her in to leslie and her in possessor recently she's always doing things Mm -hmm. to stretch herself further and like while everything around this campaign and all of the nuances around it haven't necessarily been captured in a lot of the discussions i think that just speaking about her performance as a performance alone I thought she did a great job in Two Leslie, 
it's not surprising considering how Andrea Riseborough is as an actress, but I thought she brought a lot to a script that was fairly mediocre and filled with cliches. The movie itself isn't anything to write home about, but it is the Andrea Riseborough show through and through. And I think that when I watched the film, I imagined just a number of actresses that I love from the 70s, like Sally Field, Diane Keaton, Karen Black, Faye Dunaway, mm-hmm. any of those. I imagined them in a role like this, where you have this woman who is this woman who's down on her luck. She won the lottery and squandered all of her earnings and now is an alcoholic who's trying to pick herself back up and that is a role that we would have seen a lot of back then in that time period and any actress would have wanted. So it feels like a throwback in that way. And in that way, I can imagine a lot of older voters really going for that because it just feels like the type of role and the type of performance we don't get anymore. I love that. Uh, That's like, that feels like a great comp having not seen it. But I think that that is like a part of, there is something timeless about her. And maybe it is just that she is, not that well known so she feels like this unknowable star which makes her feel more like these like stars of yesteryear to us in in some way because she's not in our face constantly all the time and that makes it you know that makes when she turns out a performance like she apparently does in Two Leslie all the more surprising and all the more well just makes it easier to throw your support behind it because you're just like oh wow she can do it all I think she'll continue to be around. Um, She's been around for a long time, thinking back to movies that I don't remember her in, but Never Let Me Go, Birdman. I absolutely love her and Mandy. I think Mm -hmm. that's incredible. Mm -hmm. I mentioned it before. (laughs) But she was in five movies that premiered in 2022. Like, it's incredible. Please, Baby, Please, which I loved, is so campy. It's so different for her. But Matilda, you mentioned Sophia. I love her as a performer i think she totally transforms in this movie and while it's sometimes hard to watch i think that's because of what she does for this character and how good she is at playing drunk or high or totally absent even when she's there with her son and making us feel that pain of that relationship of something she never regarded you know as her son was growing up so to see her transform through the alcoholism and confronting that I think is really powerful as well. So I think it's a worthy performance apart from that campaign and all of the kind of hate that she got. And she's always been incredible. I'm glad she's finally here. I hope from this, you know, when she's nominated again, it's not a surprise. Mm -hmm. Nick, what would your Oscar scene be for her? I think just, encapsulating her power in playing drunk again there's a scene where she's at a bar and she's flirting with this cowboy and it is so cringeworthy but again it's something that she can do really well she kind of stumbles around and hangs off of him and you know he wants her to leave but it's showcasing everything that she can do what about you what would you choose I would choose, there's a moment when Mark Maron's character, he's also good in this movie. There, There is an Allison Janney jump scare. She's in it. <laughs> and <laughs> it took me out of the movie for a second. Oh my God. She's a, a great, great wig. wig. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Oh God. I can't believe I haven't seen this yet. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> um, Andrea's accent though, her accent work is 
crazy. You forget that she's English. The entire it's mm-hmm. it's really really good. But um, yep. my Oscar scene would be when she's watching herself on TV with Mark Maron, and we see her when she won the lottery and how she's euphoric and it's this over the top performance as she's celebrating and talking with her son. This is actually a similar scene to the one I chose for blonde and the way that you can see the sort of two sides Mm. of the character. But as she's watching herself, knowing that she's lost everything and even though she won this life changing sum in the lottery and she's lost it now, you just see her, you see that all in her face that she's lost everything and that effect that it's had on her and the painful realization that she should have done things differently. I feel like it's a really good showcase of her skills as an actress. Okay, next up, we have Michelle Williams, who's playing Mitzi in The Fablemans. This is her fifth Oscar nomination, and this season was nominated at the Golden Globe for Drama and at the Critics' Choice. And not SAG. Neither SAG nor BAFTA. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you both feel about this nomination compared to her previous ones? Compared to her previous ones, I still, I mean, I don't know. It's so interesting. Like, we, like, even through these nominations, you can see her, like, grow up as as a person and as an actor, you know? Like, now she's, here she is, she's playing a mom. And she is really great in it. But I think I prefer her in, in something like Blue Valentine, where it does just feel a little bit more natural. I think, I don't know, Michelle is, like, such a gifted, great actress. And I, there's a side of her where she, like, kind of, puts on a character and I think it can work in certain roles, but you, I just see it as her putting on a character. I mean, I, I can't help but think of, um, oh God, the Amy Schumer movie where she's playing this, like her, her, like the, she runs the makeup line and like, that is such a strange, odd Mm -hmm. performance. And I love that. And, but I wonder if I hadn't seen that, it's just hard for me to think of this performance as anything but on, like on a continuum of character from what that is because she's kind of putting on a voice and is is this sort of like flighty person I don't know but yeah com- to compare it to her last like I mean I I just love Blue Valentine and I love what she brings to that and I I like to kind of see her in a more like natural space than than something like this uh, personally but I do think she's wonderful she obviously not to get too much into the scenes but she has so many of those big moments where where we're watching her cry. But she also has a lot of great, fantastic, quiet moments, too. I mean, I can't help but think of just the wordless scene where she's sitting there watching the camping trip video back, and you see the realization dawn on her that, like, you could argue over whether or not she was, like, cognizant of what was even going on. But I think it's there's definitely something dawning on her in that moment, and it's really wonderful. Yeah, I, I feel like I know... I first knew Michelle Williams from Dawson's Creek. She was Jen in Dawson's Creek. And then with her (laughs) Oscar roles, I also love Blue Valentine the most. And Mm -hmm. I love her roles in Kelly Reichardt's films. So the Michelle Williams that I'm used to, I agree, is the much more toned down Michelle Williams. Like, that's Mm -hmm. who I think of. And this performance, I actually think is much more akin to her role in her performance as Gwen Verdon in Fosse Verdon. It's more in that sort of space, I think, than in what I'm, I typically expect from Michelle Williams. And I really enjoyed The Fablemans a lot, but this mm-hmm. is a performance I think that when I watched the movie, this is the one that I clinged on to the least. 
I always, like, I love Paul Dano in it. I thought Gabriel LaBelle was just a, an outstanding newcomer and a great find. Mm-hmm. I love Judd Hirsch's scene. But the movie, I think, wants you to have trouble with her in some ways as a character. Not necessarily with the performance, but with the character. And I think hmm. I I have a hard time with it because sometimes with the performance, I'm like, oh, I, I don't like that scene or how she's doing that there. It's a bit too over the top or the accent feels in and out. But then I think, can I really doubt Spielberg? Like He knows more about his mother <laughs> than I do, right? Obviously, like I think that the over the top nature of the performance, it's a way that he probably remembers his own mother. Mm -hmm. And I have to sort of think about that. I think of how did Sammy perceive his mom and how did Spielberg think of and remember his mother? And if it is, is this outsized version of this particular woman, then I think that is what Michelle Williams is trying to bring to that performance and to the role. Yeah, Spielberg really put a lot of himself in this movie, obviously. But like I remember there was an interview where they talked about the scene of Mitzi driving them into the tornado and a version of that actually did happen so Hmm. I think her over-the-top nature in some moments like it never took me out we do get her quieter moments as well that I really like and emotional moments with Sammy particularly either with his filmmaking and the clips that he shows her or later on in the film when they're together alone I would have given her a win for Blue Valentine. I think that's just such a standout performance apart from Brokeback Mountain or Manchester by the Sea, which she was also very lauded for. But I think a lot of people have a problem with this performance. And I think I loved the movie so much that maybe I was able to overlook a lot of those issues. But again, it's from a perspective that isn't our own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that while people really dislike this performance and think strongly about it in negative ways, I've seen almost as many people say Mm -hmm. really positive things about it. And I think it is just like your own personal experience and what you're bringing to the Fablemans because it is the type of movie that sort of makes you feel that way. It makes you look into your own life and your own experiences and see yourself on screen in that way. I think it just asks you to do that naturally. So I think that's part of what has inspired such polarizing responses to the performance. Yeah. She's the manic pixie dream mom. Like it's kind (laughs) of, it's true. I mean, right. Mm -hmm. If you think of that as like a creation of like the male gaze in a way, it's like, yeah, this is Steven's version of that. As you said, like his view of his mom. So what would your Oscar scenes be? I, I think, you know, there's no way they would end up using this scene because there are so many of these big emotional scenes that feel like that's obvious Oscar bait. But I specifically really like the scene closer to the end when um, Monica comes over. She comes over for dinner and the monkey's at the table and she's talking about the monkey and like how they always made her happy as a kid. It's It's, you know, there's a lot of different things going on in this moment, but... I really like what she's doing there. And I also, another dinner table scene earlier on is when we kind of start to like see her relationship with, oh my God, Seth Rogen. That's not the character's (laughs) name, but where- It's impossible not to think of him as Seth (laughs) Rogen. (laughs) Where he begins to talk about the engineering work and she's just like, she's just so overcome and like 
amazed by how he's able to like distill what it is they do. I like her in those moments where almost she's where she's like reacting and kind of part of the scene a bit more. I think she like that's where her performance works the most for me. I think I would pick a scene near the end of the film. So after Sammy comes home from the dance and they're in the kitchen together, I think you they're just having a really like simple mother and son conversation here it's one of her more subtle scenes i agree like they're not going to pick something like this they're going to go with the dancing scene or when she stands up and says i'm going to therapy like they're going to pick those (laughs) over the top moments but i like it here because you can just see them having a very real conversation and you can feel the connection between them as mother and son and you can really feel her influence i think by the end of it and knowing everything that Sammy has gone through and that she's gone through and the secrets that they've kept together. Mm-hmm. It just feels like a really powerful moment in the narrative and one that I think showcases her acting style that I like a little bit more than the over-the-top moments. Yeah, as much as I would love to hear her say, I'm your mother <laughs> in the scene, um, I would pick the final scene she has with Sammy and how they talk about you know, her starting this new life and having to cook eggs and... Hmm. It's a really tender moment that I really appreciated in this mother-son relationship that we really travel with the entire movie. And we can feel her kind of let go and feel this catharsis of moving on and starting her own life, which I really love. Speaking of characters who say, I am your mother, (laughs) we have (laughs) Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once. This is her first Oscar nomination, believe it or not, which is just absolutely crazy she's had such a fascinating career but this season she hit all of the precursors she won actress in a comedy or musical at the golden globes and she was nominated for a critics choice award sag and bafta let's talk a little bit about michelle Yeoh's fantastic career it's i don't know i'm losing the words thinking about how to describe her as a performer and as just this icon in the film industry Yeah, she's almost like, God, and the movie taps into this, but she's almost like, at least in the public eye, lived these like different lives as a movie star too. We've like Mm -hmm. really seen her go through these different phases. Um, I mean, as someone that like at too young of an age, like loved and fell in love with the Bond movies, she is like fucking kick-ass Bond girl. Like Mm -hmm. she's, she's, and she still kicks ass. Oh my God, she still kicks ass. But that was my first introduction to her. And then, you know, to see her, I I don't think anyone would say that that's like, I mean, she's probably the best part of that movie, but I don't think anyone's going to be like, that's one of her greatest performances ever. But then, you know, to grow up and kind of appreciate film in a different way, but then to just see her other sides of her, it was kind of this mind blowing thing because I kept going back to just like, oh, she's in that Bond movie. Like, what is she doing being so good in, you know, name anything that she's done, but um yeah, it. I, I obviously the movie taps into that really, really well to the point that we're like getting actual red carpet video of her from, mm-hmm. from who knows what uh, in the movie in one of the many multiverses. Uh, so, so I, I love, I love that the movie is able to do that and kind of, you know, and I think we've seen that just in, in online and talking to people. This kind of renewed appreciation for the work she's done leading up to this moment, too. It's kind of been part of the conversation of the film. Yeah, I mean, she's been in everything from 
Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or Memoirs of a Geisha, to Sunshine, this <laughs> space movie that I really love, love to Kung Fu Panda and Crazy Rich Asians. I mean, it's insane all of the movies she's worked on in every sort of capacity. And I think this nomination in particular is such a good snapshot of that because she gets <laughs> to do so much as a mother, as an action figure, as a wife that has a conflicting relationship with her husband and this alternate reality in this Wong Kar Wai universe that I love. So it's like there are so many different sides to Evelyn that we get to see. And I think Michelle absolutely loved every second of that and was like, I'm going to put all of my heart and soul into this role. And she did. And I think that's partially why people love this movie so much. I mean, it's family friendly in a way. And I think there are ways that all audiences can love this, but it's really Michelle Yeoh. It's, it's her through and through and rewatching this movie. It's just a joy to watch her perform. We're going to get put on a list because you said that a movie with butt plugs is family friendly, (laughs) (laughs) but I support it. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, everything that you guys said about Michelle Yeoh, like this role feels like it's tapping into who she is as an actress Mm -hmm. and as a person throughout her entire career. Not just the fact that she won Miss Malaysia and then pivoted to doing martial arts and action films in Hong Kong starring in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, being a Bond girl, doing her own stunts. It gets all of those things right and understands her abilities as an action performer, a dramatist, a comedian. It does all of those things. But the core of Evelyn is that she feels misunderstood and she feels like she hasn't been living the life that she was destined to live in all of these other universes, right? And When we think about someone like Michelle Yeoh, she talks very openly about how she has had this amazing career, but she was never given the same opportunities that white actresses got. And -hmm. now that she's in her 60s, people just see her as a woman of a certain age and they don't want to cast her anymore. So she, as an actress, understands what it's like to be the underdog and to not have people around you believe in you even if you're capable of so many different things and I feel like she she brings that to this role in spades and even if you don't love the movie I think you come away praising Michelle Yeoh's performance it's one of those roles again like Tar that just does not happen this role Mm -hmm. wasn't even written for her it was written for Jackie Chan which is crazy to even imagine that her not in this role but I think that yeah what she does she proved here that it was it was meant for her i this is a total tangent sorry but i keep thinking about the fact that she has basically had glorified cameos as two different characters within the marvel cinematic universe and both of those came before this movie came out and i can't help but think that like kevin feige is like kind of kicking himself for not like using her in a better role within the franchise you know what i mean i feel like he Mm -hmm. always just wants to gobble up these like big actors and it's like yeah, you kind of used her, but not even close to the best of her ability. And uh, I guess egg on your face in some way. It's kind of, 
it's funny. I mean, they figured out a way to bring her back into the universe twice. So it's, I don't even like the Marvel movies that much. I don't know why I know this fact so well, but I'm just like, I'm just getting satisfaction out of it. That they were like, yeah, you guys fucked up. <laughs> I'm like nodding along. I'm like, yes, I believe you, even though I can't even, I don't even know anything about these Marvel movies. They're not fun. Anyway, <laughs> that's for another podcast. Um <laughs> What was she in before Shang-Chi? She has basically, it, this truly is a glorified cameo in the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Like she is oh. on like, I think it's like Sylvester Stallone and like maybe Salma Hayek too. There's a couple actors that are like part of this other team that you almost see as like a gag. And it's like, oh, there's this whole other like starry superhero hmm. team out there that we don't even know. Hmm. But anyway. <laughs> Okay, Oscar scenes, let's hear him. For me, and I think a lot of people would agree, like the heart of the movie, well, there's so many hearts to the movie, but it really comes down to, to me, Evelyn's relationship with Joy, Michelle Yeoh and Stephanie Su are are really, really lovely together. And I think that the movie ends like eight different times. And I think that's probably something that people would, would complain about, about the film is that it just kind of keeps ending. You get this big emotional climax with everybody, but... Um, before all of that even kicks into motion, you have that scene between them in in the parking lot um, outside the laundromat in like the actual universe that we know. And I, I think I don't I, the, the for as much as this movie has her do these big over the top funny things and these big action moments, this is just such a, a pure raw moment of emotion. And uh, it just that feels like an Oscar reel to me for sure. I have the exact same scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just like the core of the movie for me and mm-hmm. really it's like even with all of the noise of the movie earlier and seeing her in all of these action-packed scenes sometimes very for short spurts i think that this scene is where we see the power of michelle yo in many ways mm-hmm. yeah it's also my scene <laughs> <laughs> i think it will be her scene at the oscars yeah too. yeah it has to yeah i mean she just lays everything out on the line even just as an actress, I feel like she's like, this is it. You know, why would I want to be here in this universe with you in this imperfect life that we have? But she goes to like explain how much she loves Joy and has accepted everything that's happened to her. And I love seeing Michelle in this capacity and this final release that she can give the audience in this moment as well. Okay, so... Who would your write-in vote be? So there are so many great options, mm-hmm. but this is partially to right a wrong that I see as a total injustice that Nope was completely snubbed. But I, I just think that Kiki Palmer, to bring it back to the beginning of our discussion today, like Kiki Palmer is a goddamn star and she is so great in that. And And I love that this movie, you know, I think by design wants us to view her as like the comic foil at first, like as the supporting turn to Daniel Kaluuya, but we see her come into her power and kind of be amazed by herself in a way that she's able to like kind of have the big hero moment. You know, I think it's just a really, really great performance, even just beyond the Kiki charisma bomb. Like there's, she's just giving so, so much there. And yeah, I love that. And I I want her to yeah, there's another person whose career. Obviously, she's never not working, but I'm like, where where does she go from here? I hope that that was enough for people to start giving her these more more roles like this in blockbusters and in, in these big movies. She's the best. 
you put her in lead, and I think yeah. I'm putting her in supporting for <laughs> my reign. Well, fair. I mean, yeah, I guess what the never-ending I... battle yeah. of <laughs> leader supporting. Who's on my side? The New York Film Critics Circle, right? Didn't they give her? Yeah. So, so yeah. we'll take it up with them. But I, I think just because of the like evolution of that role, it's like, yeah, I, I could see the argument for either. But she's the lead of my heart. No, I love it. I love it. My write-in vote is for Park Ji Min for Return to Seoul. I've talked about this performance and movie a little bit on the pod. It was on my end of year top of 2022 episode as well. But this was also a debut performance from her. And I just really love the different sides to this character that we see throughout the many years that this film captures. It's not something that I could relate to in any way as a story, but I think what Park Ji-min brings to the movie made me feel like I could understand who she was. And not only the trauma, but the conflict that she's going through and has to deal with. So I really, really love this performance and recommend seeing this movie. There are so many wonderful performances in this category this year. Kiki Palmer is on my list here. Viola Davis for The Woman King. Tilda Swinton for The Eternal Daughter. Mm. Emma Thompson for Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. Like, there's so many Mm -hmm. different performances that I love. But my write-in vote is actually for, and I apologize for the pronunciation if I get this wrong, but Guslagi Melanda from Santo Mare. She is absolutely breathtaking in this movie as this woman on the stand in this courtroom drama she plays this woman, Laurence Colley, who is being accused of and was arrested for killing her baby, which is just this absolutely insane role where you can think, like, how does anyone even begin to tackle that? But I think that she, along with Alice Diop and her direction, really finds this core empathy in the film that really blew me away in delivering some of these lines and bringing this emotion or lack thereof to the character that was just fascinating to observe and who do you think should win this is where i get like kind of caught up in i guess semantics i'm like should who should win Mm -hmm. like uh who deserves who should i I don't know i mean Mm. i kind of i kind of think i i have to throw my weight behind michelle yo in terms of should even though as we said earlier like kate blanchett's my favorite performance and probably will be for for a year is one of my favorites but I think it should be Michelle I think it's just this great as we've said kind of culmination for her and it really the movie just plays into that as we said but I mean god damn it Academy like can we not can we like diversify things a little bit please like for <laughs> once like I don't know I know it's so much I I, I don't want to like reduce it to that but like Jesus Christ like what is the what is the problem like it feels like this would be a great um hopefully be a step in the right direction for them so it's just insane that she's the first I guess like openly Asian nominee for actress yeah I think it's it's so hard because then you think like if you could give a trophy to anyone or if you could think like who do you want to be an Oscar winner there's that part of your brain that thinks Kate Blanchett is already an Oscar winner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Two times. Michelle Yeoh is not an Oscar winner. And what would that do for people watching the ceremony for the future of the industry? It would be a seismic moment. And there, mm-hmm. there is like that part of you that wants 
to see that that happen because you just know like this is also you you just don't know when it will happen again and sometimes it takes one person winning to make a change like that i mean halle berry won so long ago and we haven't had another black actress Mm. win best actress still but i think that michelle yo winning not just like as a woman of color as an asian woman but also for a role that is very anti what the academy tends to go for mm-hmm, like sci-fi mm-hmm. action they love troubled mothers like that is what wins in best actress which she <laughs> so, is that too which she yeah she's multifaceted <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah so i think if that happens it would be incredible but <laughs> all of this to say my favorite performance of the year is kate blanchett and if she wins, I think it would be one of the best performances to ever win in the category's history. Like It is a case where you have one of the greatest actresses working who wins for an all-time ambitious role. And the thing is, is like that's you could say that for Michelle Yeoh too. Like it's it's pretty crazy that we have that that example for both. So. Yeah, getting into semantics, it's tricky, but <laughs> I'm going to go with Kate Blanchett just looking at the performance that I like the most. We are all aligned. I'm saying Kate for this answer, but for how political the Oscars can be, not only in nominations, but in winners and campaigning, my answer is absolutely Michelle Yeoh. You know, she's campaigned this entire year. Mm-hmm. And the question was, like, will this movie still be around eight months later? And it very much is. It's very much winning multiple awards. And I think she absolutely deserves to win. Even if Kate doesn't win, it's not one of those losses where it's like, she should have won. Oh, my God, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. And we remember the performances that lost more than the winner. I think if Michelle wins, it's equally deserved. So again, this is like a question that we can debate (laughs) until the final moments and predicting as well of like, who is going to win where we talked about it for so long that it's like, it doesn't matter to me anymore. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to enjoy whoever wins. I just think if it's one of the other three, (laughs) everyone is going to lose their minds. (laughs) It can't. It can't be one of the other three. Like we just no. I'm not. I'm not accepting the possibility. Oh god. <laughs> just you even mentioning that. Like oh god, <laughs> that hurts. There's like chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. very anxious. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be one of those where I just. I really want to see the result at the end of the night. Like more than almost any other category but mm-hmm. you know my personal winner Kate Blanchett I think if we asked her this question she would say Michelle Yeoh yeah I was yeah. I was thinking that too especially given that critics speech where she was like mm-hmm. this whole thing this whole <laughs> dog and pony show or whatever it's like yeah <laughs> pretty weird I, I like kind of exciting to think what she would say if she did win then given that but mm-hmm. I also was just thinking about Michelle winning and getting goosebumps so I, I don't know well Thank you so much, Cameron, for being here with us today as we talked about Best Actor and Best Actress, these two big categories. This was a total dream. Thank you. I mean, of course, I'm just talking about this stuff at all times anyway. So thank you for having me. And 
sorry to anyone out there who's going to be upset that I haven't seen all the films yet. But, you know, I'm working towards it. I mean, we're going to before Oscars Day, obviously. But <laughs> You have time. <laughs> we still have a month. Yeah, you're yeah, totally fine. I'll get there. Yeah, thanks so much, Cameron, for being here. Let everyone know where they can find you, because I know oh. you're a comedy queen on Twitter, so oh, that's important. Um, yeah, I'm on, on Twitter and Instagram at Cameron Sheets, C-A-M-E-R-O-N-S-C-H-E-E-T-Z. Just my name, so find me there. And yeah, I, I, I'm at Queerty full-time, so I've got writing on there most of the time about like shirtless dudes, but we talk some Oscars on there, too, so, <laughs> so tune in. <laughs> We should have had you play Smash or Pass. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Maybe another time. Yeah, that sounds good. I'll come back for that. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening. If you like our show, you can rate, review, and follow. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Oscar Wilde Pod. Well, thank you all for listening, and we will see you very soon. Bye.